Well, as I mentioned, we're going to be starting Galatians today. And so what we're going to do is a uh, an introduction to Galatians. And so we'll touch on a few uh, passages, kind of surveying uh, the, the chapters, just to give you uh, that background so that you understand what the the point and the purpose and the theme is of the book. One of the things I think I've mentioned before is that, you know, I, I really love and enjoy reading. And, um, you know, over the years, uh, I've read a, a lot of different types of books. Uh, you know, I, I prefer history. I, I like biographies about real people, uh, real time, places, and events. I love business books, especially uh, their stories and how they built their business and where they came from. Uh, love podcasts that are kind of you know nowadays you can you know listen to the book and uh, or listen to a, a, a story or historical narrative on a podcast. And so usually though when we read something, it's because somebody else has maybe recommended it to you or or, or perked your interest. And so. You don't really just randomly walk into a library and just, you know, blindly grab a book off the shelf and start reading it, right? And so what that means is that uh, you walk into that book with a certain presupposition. You have a a presupposed idea of uh, what this book is about and how it's going to help you. And that's because somebody said, you need to read this book. It's great. It's going to help you do this, right? And so, naturally then, that's why you read the book. Because you do have an interest in that. You do uh, want to maybe glean from the wisdom in the inside of that book that your, your friend told you you're going to get. Uh, so, so we do that. And so it's important then that when we go to a book, we, we have to be careful that, that we're not going to that book with really with our presupposition. The author has intent, Author, uh, authoritative intent is, is what we call it in uh, hermeneutics. And so that author has a point, a purpose, and a reason for writing it, writing it for you, for me. And that's the main purpose, not your purpose. Now, you may glean some different things and insight from it, but authori- uh, authoritative intent is where we start, especially with the Bible. So, so the Bible was written by God as a revelation to be given to us. And there is no other interpretation other than that of God's. And so the battle begins because we get a lot of people that then come to the Bible and want to make it whatever they want to make it. And nowadays, as book after book after book has been written, you could almost get any kind of viewpoint that you want uh, just by plucking out certain verses or passages and making it out to be whatever humanly you, uh, your presupposed desire is. But when we go to study a book as, as believers, as Christians, what we're trying to do is to, to come to the, to the word, to listen to what God has instructed for us. His intent, his point. And so we go about it with a certain you know, hermeneutical principle. It begins with the, the literal, historical, grammatical uh, interpretation. So we begin with, with it being literal truth, historical truth. 
Now, within that, we will see the genre, or we will see a book that will will have typology or allegory or poetry. Uh, it almost always, though, is very, very clear that what you're reading right now is 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 a story or an allegory or proverbial uh, kind of thing. And so we have to be careful that we don't take typology and place it everywhere in Scripture, which that becomes kind of your uh, interpretive battle is to know at what times that this is really pointing to uh, you know, an example of Jesus Christ. So, for example, John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Well, it's, it's that point of Jesus dying then on the cross for our sins to save us because he loved us. When we look at numbers and we see the serpent, uh, that, that picture of the serpent that was on the staff, that's a, a, a typology of Christ. That's a foreshadowing of Christ. And it's like, okay, how, well, how do we know? Well, many times the New Testament will actually refer back to, to the old as, as, a, as a quoting of it. And so what we want to do is we look at Galatians then is we want to understand, okay, so why was this book written? What is Galatians? And so that's what we're going to kind of do today. We want to understand um, from an, an introduction point of view that Galatians then, when we read through it and we really try to, you know, thinking of it like a, a, a paper that one would write in school, right? A thesis paper. Well, what's the thesis then? What is the title? What's the point? Remember, the, the, the Bible wasn't written with chapters and verses either. So whatever chapter titles you see or breakdowns you see, those were not in the original manuscript. So we then have to read through the whole book and kind of come up with that. Okay, what is the title? What are the chapter themes? And so when we do that, we see that the phrase uh, justified by faith, justified by faith becomes the central theme of this book. And so today we just want to take a quick view of uh, you know, three ways that we see justified by faith is is shown in the book of Galatians. And so first we'll see uh, justification by faith clarified. Uh, the second point is we'll see justification by faith explained, uh, explained doctrinally. And then third, we'll see justification by faith uh, applied. Well, first we, we want to know, well, who wrote this? Right, we want to know who who's the who is the author who wrote it. Uh, that gives us certain context, and right away we see uh, Galatians one, uh, verse one, word one, Paul. Remember, in, in the Bible days, you would now what we do is we end the letter with our name. Back then, they began the letter with the name, so um, it would start off Paul, an apostle, and. Paul would name himself and then describe himself so that you knew who was writing this letter. This letter then had, had authority. This letter had power. If I were to read a letter uh, to this church and this letter said, you know, President Trump has a message for you. Okay, that has a different, you know, tone being that's the President of the United States than Bob wants to say some things to you. Who's Bob? 
You know, what, what, I don't know who Bob is. What, what's, what's Bob's point? And so that's kind of what, what's happening here. And Paul is, is then the author. But he's just the, the instrument of, of the authorship. And we see that in, in Galatians 1 verse 12. One of the great examples then of how scripture is handwritten by man, but actually uh, 2 Timothy 3.16, God breathed. So the Bible is God's word that he spoke through man. And how does that work? Well, verse 12, for I neither received it from man. Paul didn't go to seminary. He, he didn't learn it from the apostles, from the 12 who walked with Jesus. Neither did I receive it from man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. And so we see here how this relationship, which, which is a spiritual and a, and a miraculous um, relationship of how God actually pens his word through men. We have 66 books in the Bible that are written, about 34 different authors, different men who penned them, but one, one author, not author is God. The date of the writing, the date of the writing of this book, I don't know if you guys think about that very often, but how old uh, this document is that, that we're reading. You know, this is 2,000 years old. That's, that's the New Testament, right? And, and the book of Galatians was written in AD 51. So that means when Jesus dying in about AD 33, it's about 20 years after the death of Christ that this book is, was written. And so this, and along with the Thessalonians, is considered to be, you know, the first or the second book written in the New Testament. So coming out of the gates in the New Testament, remember, we had the Old Testament scriptures, and now here's the, the first book, or one of the first books penned. And it's, it's interesting, because it has a lot of doctrine in this little six-chapter, uh, you know, book. But it, again, right out of the gate, starts addressing uh, doctrinal errors in the church. And so we see that the church really isn't very different today as it was right there in the very beginning in, in one of the very first books. Uh, this is not a, a new uh, trait for us. And so the theme, and I mentioned before, is, is then justified by faith alone. One of the five solas that we... Uh, learn to the Reformation. I'll get to that uh, again a little later. So what's the purpose then of this writing? What is the purpose? Well, we see again in the intro that this was uh, verse 2 written to all the brethren to the churches of Galatia. So it's not just one church. It wasn't just written to like one church in the Seattle you know, area. It was written to the churches in all the Seattle area. Okay, so this, this has got a, a broad stroke on it, okay? And that's important for us to understand and, mem and, and, and um, know because it's not just the air of one small rogue congregation. Uh, this is kind of uh, the, the flow of what's happening. So, you know, we understand that. We understand how tendencies and flows, you know, occur even in the United States of America. You know, if we were to say, hey, where did the grunge movement come from? 
Everybody knows what that means. Arkansas, right? <laughs> no, not exactly. Um, and so, you know, we, we, we see movements in different parts of the country. And, and, and this, is, this is not, again, unique to just one small church. This is a big problem, a big problem. And so what's the problem? The problem is, is that there's already this heretical teaching uh, that started and it starts from the law of Moses. It starts from the patriarch of, of Israel, the, really the, the, the forefather of Christianity, right? And so you, th- you think, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. How can that be? Um, Moses is in the Bible, right? So all that we believe in is of Moses has to be right. No, it's, this is Old Testament stuff. So as tricky as it gets for us, it's the same thing for them. And so what's happening now, and we've talked about this before, is the Israelites, who were the, the carriers of the Old Testament and the ones following the one true God, Yahweh, all of a sudden now all these Gentiles, all these foreigners are coming in. But the Israelites are still clinging to the old stuff. You know, the old time religion, right? They're still clinging to it. And, and Moses is still, you know, a huge, important figure. And so the law of Moses, the Ten Commandments, the Deuteronomical law, the you know, Levitical law, the traditions, the sacrifices, for them, all those things have to still be intact, the same as they were before. And so the problem with this is they become very legalistic in their viewpoint, which is a major problem. Always was, always has, will be. And what we really see here then is, again, this subtle pluralism that we talk about all the time. If you have a different gospel, then you have, then it's now you don't have the gospel. You have the gospel plus. So now we have two gospels, right? It's, it's pluralistic. We have this new Christianity with Jesus, but we have the old ways of Moses too. Well, now they're creating essentially two different belief systems. Uh, the sacrifices, the eating habits, the memorials, the traditions, even the offices, the priesthood, and, and, and the prophets. These are Old Testament concepts that then have to be understood properly in a New Testament context. So there's this internal theological crisis right from the beginning. Oh, Deep theology and doctrines don't, come on, just keep it simple. Can't we all just be, you know, kind of real basic Christians here? Well, we'll see in this book that it, it, it just doesn't quite work that way. Because you, when you go down a slippery slope, down the wrong path, down the wrong road, now it becomes a different religion. And so that's a problem. And the justification by faith is one of the cornerstone errors that we, we've seen in uh, Christianity the whole time, beginning in the beginning, which is people want to earn their way into heaven. People want to do things that make them good. And again, we just got done reading in Romans, there are none that are righteous. There are none that are good. There, all of us are with sin. Okay, all of us. And so the idea that there's something that you can do to, to make yourself good is, is an errant viewpoint. We are good because of the, 
the grace of God that he bestows upon us. That's our only goodness. And then the things that we do come and flow out of that, not out of our, uh, who we are in our character, or who we are in our general makeup. Uh, it's actually the opposite. But the Judaizers, and they're the ones that then would, you know, they, they, they would be in the congregation and kind of be sitting there looking at the new Gentiles and, and say, hey, we've, we've been doing this for a long time. You guys just, we'll take the leadership role. We'll take the speak teaching roles. You, we'll show you guys uh, how this is done. And so one of their key issues then becomes this issue of circumcision. <laughs> Uh, and, the, and the idea that circumcision is an absolute requirement for salvation. Uh, that becomes a work righteousness issue and, and, and a wrong issue. Well, the, the, the historical influence of this book is, is, has huge ramifications. If you guys are familiar with the, uh, the Magna Carta and how the Magna Carta just had a massive influence on uh, the U.S. Constitution for, for freedom and liberty and equality. Well, the book of Galatians was, was the book that Luther, that transformed the mind of Luther. Luther being the, uh, the Catholic priest who you know, was seeing a lot of the problems within the church, seeing a lot of the problems within uh, the kingdom of Christianity itself. And as he studies Gala the, the book of uh, Galatians, he realizes uh, the errors of his way. Um, he realizes then that this idea of, of law and grace and works and what the gospel is and who Jesus really is and the Holy Spirit and salvation, sanctification, all his theology and doctrine uh, shifts came from the book of Galatians. And, and that's the cool thing. Luther's, you know, 500 years ago, right? But we have his writings. We have his books. Uh, we know, we're not guessing. We know exactly what his influences were because he tells us. Um, and so Galatians, the book of Galatians becomes pivotal in the Reformation, which is, you know, for us, um, uh, just a, a landmark uh, movement, a landmark theology in, in the shift of, of modern cre uh, Christianity. Well, some of the key terms that we'll see throughout Galatians is over 20 times in six chapters, we're going to see this, this theme of, of bondage and liberation uh, and freedom. In fact, uh, one of Luther's books was Bondage of the Will. And, and again, it's that idea of being a, a slave. And are you a slave to your depravity and to your sin? Or are you a slave to God and righteousness? And, and, and he fully would would verbalize it in this form of, I'm in bondage, right? I'm in, I'm in this bondage, and I'm in a bondage of my will. And so Galatians, then, is this book that talks about how we are free, uh, truly freed from bondage, how we're truly liberated, how we are then free in Christ. Christ came to give life and to give it abundantly. He, he didn't come to strap on more laws and more rules. Okay, so where's the balance there? Where's the balance then of I live in the freedom of Christ, but there are rules. There is obedience. Uh, that's one of the things that the book of Galatians, especially Galatians 5, will point out. Um, and so then finally we look at uh, generally justification. This, this 
big word justification well generally it means it's a legal term and a spiritual term so you are justified uh, that's a legal term but we we need to understand as a spiritual term right well what's justified mean what does it mean it means you're made righteousness you're made right um, it's it's a it's a moral thing it's moral conduct it's it's being upright it's it's being good it's it's being holy so the idea that we could be made holy, made right, uh, well, that's a pretty important uh, concept. We're justified in that we're legally now, from a, from a trial standpoint, we're found innocent. Innocent. That means you're not guilty of a crime. You are now blameless. Okay, but... You are guilty of crimes. You have crimes. You have sins. And so now this idea of being justified, made right, made blameless through faith, not of any kinds of works, this becomes a pretty important concept. Uh, you are acquitted. Acquitted is that, that legal, then the, the legal uh, process of being free from the criminal charge. Not only do you not... Uh, not guilt. It's like you have a, a written paper that says you've been acquitted of the crime. Okay, so there's a difference in you. You everybody knows you did something, and we don't do anything about it. And everybody knows you did something, and we send you to trial, and you walk out with an acquittal. Um, and so you've been cleared of the charge. You've been completely exonerated. So the idea of being justified by faith becomes a very, very powerful statement, especially as we understanding and understand it to be that in our sin, we no longer reign in our sin, but we are exonerated of our sin. We are now justified. And by what? By faith. Through grace. That is a gift from God and not of your own, so that no man may boast. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. So the whole foundation of Christianity is, is, is by grace, by, by faith, by a belief, not by these acts of self-righteous deeds and works. So what are we going to learn from that in this book? Well, the first uh, overarching uh, theme we want to look at here is the first way we're justified is we're we're justified by faith and, and that's clarified in the first two chapters and so I want to just kind of give a uh, again a, a summary kind of chapter by chapter of how this justification by faith works and so the the first justification by faith is the clarified again the the legalistic Judaizers are are men who then seek to undermine the gospel of God's grace in Christ by, by keeping these external laws and ordinances going and by adding on to them. And so the heart of the issue was that uh, as one could be accepted by God um, by something as, as trite as, as circumcision. Okay? And so we see in chapter 1 that Paul clarifies the gospel, that he begins the gospel. Let, 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 me, let me straighten this out. Um, let, let me be very, very clear. And 
And again, this is no light thing. Verse 6 through through 8. I'm amazed that you are so quickly deserting him. I mean, think, listen to the terms that are used here. I'm amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by grace, of, by the grace of Christ, for a different gospel. Wow, I mean, that is, that's a harsh term, right? That's not gentle. That, that, that's pretty harsh. You are desert, deserting God for another gospel. I mean, what's being said there? You are not of the family of God. You have left God and you are chasing another lover, right? That, that, that's, that's pretty harsh. Verse 7, which is really not another one, for there's only, uh, only there are some who are d- disturbing you and you want to distort the gospel. You're, you're following a distortion? You are, you're a fool, Right? And even if, an, if, if we, even if, if me or other people come in here and, uh, or an angel from heaven should preach to you a, a gospel contrary to that which we have preached, let them be damned. Let them be accursed to hell. You should know better. You should know better. So, I mean, out of the gates, I mean, th- this is not, you know, easy, soft going stuff, is it? This is a challenge. Imagine this being written to you, to, to this church. Um, it's a, 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 a huge warning. And keep in mind that, that this has always been Satan's way. Satan's way has always been to not come up with a completely new religion, but to distort the true religion. And so if there's going to be a distortion, if there's going to be a way that we're deceived, it's going to be by something that comes as a wolf in sheep's clothing, right? So we'll get into that. Well, in chapter 2, Paul clarifies the gospel uh, again with this this correction. Uh, Verse 16 then becomes kind of the the center point of, of the book of Galatians and Uh, Verse 16 says, Nevertheless, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus. Even we have believed in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. Since the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. So very, very clear. what the gospel truly is. Verse 19, for through the law, I died to the law that I might live to God, but Christ lives in me and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and delivered himself up for me. I do not nullify the grace of God for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died needlessly. If we could obtain righteousness by obeying the law, then why did we need Jesus to die? I would be standing here saying, you need to obey the law. You need to be faithful to the law. You need to keep the law. It'd all be about obeying the law, right? And then we would be right to say, hey, the, probably the best way to get to heaven would be to lock yourself up in your, in your room and never see the world or do anything so you don't break the law, right? And you can go to heaven that way. But that's not the gospel message at all. Um, and again, look, look at the language here. Verse 21, if 
Righteousness comes through an obedience in the law. If that's what Christianity is all about, it's all about the law, it's all about the things you do, it's all about the things you don't do, then Christ, Jesus Christ, died on the cross for no reason. Um, so again, this is how being justified by faith is clarified, and we'll get into that deeper. Well, the second way we're justified, and we see justification by faith explained in chapter 3, then, uh, is explained doctrinally. Doctrine. Doctrine is important. We're in an age now where, where people want to be you know, kind of less intellectual, less deep. Let's just keep it kind of superficial. A, a, a superficial entrance into the gospel will give you a superficial relationship. And so there, there's, there's a lot of words here in the Bible, right? Okay, God intended that for a reason. God intended that, I mean, literally for most people, the Bible would be the biggest book you ever read in your life. Especially if you have giant lettering like me. And then it gets real thick and big, right? But, but God intended us to use our minds as well. It's not me who created theology. It's not Tony who created the doctrine. It's God. God who created the depths, the mysteries of the Bible. And so Paul uses kind of two concepts throughout Galatians. One is Christian liberty and the other one is this fruit of the Spirit uh, to explain doctrine, to explain the doctrine of justification. And Paul tells the Galatians that uh, it is foolish to seek to be perfect in Christ by seeking the Jewish legal observances. But instead, we're to, to live by the Spirit, right? Not by the flesh, but by the Spirit. And so Paul clarifies in uh, uh, verse 6 of chapter 3. So even so, Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Another example of, of belief that equals righteousness, not works. And this is Abraham. This is the father of the Hebrews, the father of Israel, Father Abraham. Uh, you know, this is literally the Godfather of the Jewish faith. And he's saying, look, it wasn't the things that he did that made him righteous. It was his faith that made him righteous. That's what we need to learn. And just remember that the law only brings about a curse. The law just shows you how much you break it and how sinful you are. Well, Paul in chapter 4 then is going to show us how justification by faith is explained doctrinally by going back and forth and, sh and comparing this concept of, of being a, 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 you know, slavery and children or heirs of God. And we saw that these two examples in, in Romans. And so this will give us uh, even some more depth and some more insight as we get into it a little bit more. And so we want to be careful that, you know, that we're not playing kind of this spiritual shell game um, of, of, well, we, we say we believe in, in saved by you know, faith. Uh, we, we say that we believe that salvation is, 
is given as a, as a gift of grace and mercy. But really, we really, really believe that it's, it's all about law and keeping of the law. Um, and if that's the game that we're going to play, then we will lose that game. Well, the third way we see uh, how we're justified is justification uh, by faith and, and how it then is, is actually applied. It's, it's kind of that, you know, okay, what does this mean to me? Uh, you, you already got done explaining that Galatians was written to uh, the Galatians. It was written in the first century. Uh, they had problems. How does this relate to me? That's when we take a look and, and we, we draw from their problems and their situations. We see the warning signs and we say, whoa, wait a minute. This sounds exactly like us. This sounds exactly like the, the situations that we're dealing with. How do we respond? How, how do we understand this? Well, we have the application side of this as well in, in Galatians 5 and 6. And so we see how justification by faith is, is, is applied. And Paul goes back to this illustration first in chapter 5 of circumcision. And, and he very clearly states, verse 6, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. It's not about circumcision. Get off of it. Right? But faith working through love. Faith working through love. So that's a concept we're going to need to really understand as we study this book. Verse 13, for you were called to freedom. You were called to freedom, not bondage of rules, but freedom, brethren. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity of flesh. Don't turn the freedom I give you into an opportunity for sin. But through love, serve one another. When, when mom and dad says, you know what? I trust you. No curfew for you, right? You don't turn that into an opportunity to go out and, and sin and, and disappoint your parents and do whatever it is you want. That's kind of the, the, the picture here. No, but through, through love, go. Be free. I'm, I'm not going to have a shot collar on you. I'm not going to have walls and fences around the house. I'm not going to have, uh, you know, a, uh, a curfew. I'm going to trust that you out of love and respect are going to then go do the right thing. Th this then is what God does for us. And yet we have a lot of people who think, no, 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 no. Actually, what he really wants is more rules, more rules, more rules, Right. And believe me, there's a lot of parents that if they could, they would have those little doggy shot collars on their kids. And it'd just be, right? And then, is there, I mean, could you imagine being a, a, you know, a kid in the house? How many times you'd be zapped a day? Uh, and, the, and look at the moms in here. You legalists. See? And that's the problem. Just for training. Just for training. We say this in jest, and this is part of the problem, is that we actually think, we actually think that there's some element of, of validity in that I would do my child better by putting more rules, by tightening up the box, by taking away freedom. And God's word doesn't say it that way. We have rules, but we don't need to add to the rules. We have enough rules, right? 
Um, so we'll take a look at what that means. And, and don't hear me wrong. We, uh, Jesus Christ is our Lord. He's our master. He's our king. We obey his rules, his law. But we are saved and justified by faith, not by the completion of those. Because if we roll out that list, kind of the, the Santa naughty and nice list, we would have way too much stuff on the naughty side to ever receive the gift. And so finally, we see uh, Paul clarifying the, the gospel as a spiritual thing. This is a spiritual endeavor. Uh, we see that in Galatians 5, especially the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, we see this in Galatians 6, uh, Galatians 6, 3. For if anyone thinks that he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. And so one of the biggest problems that we're going to see in, in Christianity is this idea of spiritual uh, arrogance, right? How would a desperately sick sinner who was saved by, by God's grace, who was pardoned at the last minute of, of the getting receiving the execution of death at the judgment seat, how would that person ever have an attitude of arrogance, and it only comes because in the reality, they put their attention on all the things that they do. And they say, look at me. This is what I did. I did this too. I did this. I also did this. And I did this. And let me tell you about the things I didn't do. I didn't do this. And I didn't do this. And I didn't do this. Right? And all that attention goes away from what Jesus Christ did on the cross to, to me. And, and that's death. That, that is a path, that is a heretical path that leads to destruction that we need to be on guard because if you think you're something, you're nothing. You, you, you're just a sinner saved by grace, which means the person next to you is just a sinner saved by grace, which means the person not here at church today is, is not just like some lazy bum. Hey, you know what? That's my, bro my potential brother, sister in Christ. That's somebody who may be going to hell. Uh, that gives me an entirely different attitude of going from one of me being spiritually arrogant and thinking how much better I am for being here today. And boy, I'm even better than that. I'm here teaching. It's like, no. You know what? I, I'm no different than that person out there who's caught in their sin save that I, my eyes have been awakened, that my soul has been awakened by the Holy Spirit. And now I know, I, I know what Jesus Christ has done for, for me. And I, and I bow my knee before the throne and receive that grace and that mercy. It has nothing to do with anything, any kind of work of righteousness that, that I think that I'm doing. Very, very important concept for us uh, to get our arms completely wrapped around. Galatians does that. And so Galatians is our reminder. Uh, it mentions it in the very first chapter to, to put away our traditions, put away whatever denominational hangups we might have, um, to put away the idea of man worship. We don't worship Moses. We don't worship Abraham. We don't worship pastors. We don't worship you know Christian authors. Um, we go back to, you know, the sola, sola scriptura. Um, it's only about God's word, sola grata, 
It's by grace alone, sola Christus, by Christ alone, uh, sola de gloria, by God alone, and finally sola fide, by faith alone. That's how we're justified. Let's pray. Lord, we are so excited and look forward to diving into your word. There are so many questions uh, that we probably have uh, that these chapters uh, spark. We've been debating, we've been arguing over them for 2,000 years. And so, Lord, I pray that uh, there's no debate for us, but we uh, humbly uh, bow our knee before the throne uh, to receive uh, this gentle uh, correction, this gentle reproof and instruction. And Lord, that we not only as a church uh, grow stronger, but personally as well. Lord, help us to uh, to rely solely and only on you and not our own devices. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.